So on this episode of Business Life and Coffee, we're here at the Sherm Talent Conference in Orlando uh, in Walt Disney World, and I'm joined by Tim Sackett, who is going to be leading a presentation called Moneyball Recruiting, The Simple Science Behind Great Hiring. Uh, I follow Tim on Twitter, and uh, I'll give him an opportunity to introduce himself so I don't, I don't butcher it or you know, not highlight <laughs> some of the, the highlights there. Yeah. Uh, but for our audience, can you talk to us a little bit about, let's start with your background and, yeah. and how you got into recruiting. Well, Joy, thanks for letting me come on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I got into recruiting. I actually have a unique story because I went and just got an undergrad um, kind of education degree. And my mother actually started a recruiting company back in 1979. Um, technical recruiting at the time, you could imagine no females we're even running businesses, let alone technical, right. like recruiting, engineering, IT, stuff like that. And so um, right out of college, um, she offered me a job. You know, she's like, my business is growing. Do you want to come in? You got to start on the ground, ground up. She called it a research assistant at the time, yeah. which I had no idea. I'm like, whatever, pay $20,000. I'm like, I'm in, you know. <laughs> Jackpot. It, yeah. And it actually was a sourcing job. Okay. And so I worked for another recruiter and I was just sourced. And like my first three weeks on the job, they gave me the stack. Literally, it was two feet high of just resumes. And they said, call every single one of these people, find out what they want, where they want to go, how much money they're making, blah, blah, blah. Just normal kind of basic screening. Yep. They said, you need to make at least 100 calls a day and go. So for three weeks, that's all I did. I was in the office just busting out call sheets, just call, 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 call. I had no idea what any of it meant. None of the technology, you know. Um, and then I get done and, um, you know, after the three weeks they said, okay, bring us all those resumes, your notes, blah, blah, blah. The guy took them from me and literally turned around and threw them all in a trash can. <laughs> he said, wow. your training's over. <laughs> and I'm like, what? It, it was all about just breaking down that fear of being on the phone and asking people questions sure. and talking. Sure. And after that, like you had none. Like, you know, I was making 100 calls a day. I was, you know, and so then they go, okay, here's, here's the real job that you need to search for. And now go find his designers for General Motors. And, you know, and so, you know, I started doing that. Um, so I worked for her for about eight years, moved my way up through recruiting um, to a recruiting manager role, and then got my master's in HR and took off and got my first real um, corporate HR job, working for Pomida in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and a large kind of regional retailer, and then moved my way up there, ended up you know, working with Applebee's, ended up working for a large health system, um, and then six years ago, my mother had some health problems and said, hey, I'm going to sell the company or do you want to come back and run it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's basically running a technical staffing agency is exactly the same as running a talent acquisition department of a major company. I have a dozen recruiters, you know, you get, I have, you know, all these clients we work with that have their orders and we basically are just managing the staffing function. So for me, it was a good kind of transition. Now, again, I have the full business scope, so I also have to run the business side of it, sales yep. and that marketing and everything else, um, which is always a challenge. But, you know, I think, you know, ultimately that's my background. About when I was working in the health system, about eight years ago, um, 
I went from Applebee's, which the average age was like 23, right? 125,000 people, 23 years old is the average age of the employees. So very dynamic, right? A lot of cool stuff going on, harassment everywhere, like investigations, you know, plus like just huge needs for training and process and everything. Because you can imagine 2,000 restaurants, how do you, how do you make them run all the same? Um, but so I, I had gotten a job opportunity to go and, and you know for a higher level um, kind of executive um, staffing position, um, working for a large health system. So I took that. Well, it was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Average age was about forty-five. <laughs> yeah. Very conservative. You can mm-hmm. imagine a healthcare system. You know, we're here to save lives, and the doctors are God, and all of that. Yeah. And so, I was one day I was searching for some information to help out. Uh, on some program I was doing or something, and I found Chris Dunn at Fistful of Talent. And I said, oh my gosh, this guy writes exactly how I think. Mm-hmm. But because I'm in HR, I could never actually put that out there in public, right? Yeah. But okay. behind, in your mind, you're thinking, <laughs> oh my gosh, he's actually saying this. Yeah. Now, again, and it's funny, Chris, and the, what I actually found was HR Capitalist, his blog, HR Capitalist. And it hasn't changed the entire time. So for eight years, it's been exactly the same. It looks like a 12-year-old kid could have put up that website, right? Mm-hmm. And I always tease him about that. And he doesn't care. He's like, it's a blog. Who cares? You know, I'm just yeah. going to write about it. Um, but anyways, I sent him an email right away from the blog and said, hey, I just read this post. It was really good. Like, I don't know if anyone reads this, yeah. <laughs> but I really liked it. I just want to thank you for writing it and saying it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He instantly emailed me back, which told me probably no one reads this. Right, that <laughs> may have been his first <laughs> fan mail of the year. <laughs> and so he ended up, he, he was call me. That was the email back, call me. He gave me yeah. his number, and I'm like, okay. And this guy could be in a basement someplace, so like living with his parents. Yeah. No, he was like a corporate, like HR, you know, executive working for a big company. And um, we ended up talking for like an hour and a half, and he's like, hey, do you want to write? And I'm like, I don't know. I can even write like sounds like a you know homework assignment mm-hmm. so he's like just send me a couple things you know send me like two pieces and so the first one I did was like on some FMLA regulations or whatever. I want to show him like I got real HR shops you know yeah. I'm smart like yeah. I know my stuff and then I, the other one I did was where does corporate logo wear go to die and it's because I had just kind of come out of Applebee's I had Applebee's logos bags jackets hats like a million things like Applebee's was classic of anytime they wanted to reward you they gave you something with their logo on it <laughs> And so my wife had just called, like, you know, Goodwill and said, you know, like, hey, come pick up all this stuff because you're never going to wear this. Yeah. But the concept of the post was, where does this stuff go? Because, like, I never walk around town seeing somebody, like, wearing my Applebee's jacket. For right. The 2001 People Stacks Award winner kind of thing. Yeah. But I imagine, but so in my, my mind, I imagine one day I was going to be on a trip to Brazil and coming walking down the beach with me, like, hey, that's my jacket, you know. <laughs> and he's like... Always write like that. Never write that other lame FMLA stuff. That's awful. Yeah. No one wants to read that. And so I, for a couple of years, I had the Friday slot at Fistful of Talent where every Friday I kind of had like the entertainment, you know, kind of make fun of HR kind of piece. And then from there, he's like, you got, you got too much to say. You need to go and, you know, do your own blog, which I started at TimSackett.com, yeah. uh, the Tim Sackett Project about five years ago. And that kind of transformed my HR career again because – you know, you know how it is. Like you start writing, speaking, podcasting, doing all this stuff, and you become this thought leader. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm still the same HR guy. Yeah. You know, that was sitting at a desk making 100 calls a day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the trenches. Getting resume thrown in the trash. <laughs> so that's what it is. So yeah. So um, so really, that's my that's my background. That's like the five minute tour of me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were a few things that I wanted to touch touch 
follow back on. Uh, you mentioned the 100 calls a day. Yeah. For those that are entry-level professionals listening on the podcast, you know, what did that teach you? What, what was that tr- transformative process like when you first given that stack and then you, you later came back and said, okay, well, now I don't, I don't have that fear anymore, those reservations anymore. What, could you talk us through what that, what that was like? Yeah, you know, I think it's something that you, you feel like when you, fir- when you first started to do it, um, I struggled. Um, it would take me 10, 12 hours a day to actually make 100 calls. It seemed like it was so hard. And then as you, after you started doing it, you realized, you know, you can actually, you can actually go through that and get that done. Mm-hmm. What happens is those people start calling you back, and that's why you can't get to the 100 calls because now you're taking, you know, incoming calls. Um, but it was all there. It's, it's there just to prove that you, can, that you can do something that you didn't think was possible, right? And then that fear of, especially, and I see this in corporate town acquisition pros a ton, um, and really salespeople in general that are new to the, any kind of industry is that they just have this fear of, if I pick up the phone, I might get rejected. If I never pick up the phone, I'll never get rejected. Also, never nothing will ever happen, mm-hmm. but I won't get rejected. And so they start to do other th- stuff, right? Oh, I can work on this project, or I can do this, and the phone thing becomes secondary, the reality is, is whether it's a phone call, a text message, an email, whatever it is to connect with somebody, eventually you're going to have to get on the phone and be able to converse with them live. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be recruiting. It could be sales. It could be marketing. It could be operations. Even running your own business. Running I mean, your I, own I business. The same, the same thing. You know, it, it, I could sit behind a computer and blog all day. I could tweet people. But if I'm not picking up the phone or sending emails out to, to customers or prospects, you know, you know, the money's not necessarily coming in. I, yeah, you know, like, you know, I have a pretty big online presence, and I constantly will talk to somebody. They'll go, and they'll go, oh, my gosh, I read your stuff, and I saw you speak here, and, you know, oh, my, it's, it's so awesome. I'm a big fan. And I'm like, well, we need to, you know, like, we need to talk because I can do business with you. And they're like, oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. Because, again, they, people don't think in those contexts. They think, oh, here's Tammy, write stuff, I like it, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, I need to make money. <laughs> Yeah. You know, my company needs to make money, and so there has to be some kind of a BD there where you're like, look, I need, you know, I need to let people know what I can actually do and how I can help them. Um, and so many people fail at that. They're like, oh my gosh, I want to blog and I want to make money, and you're like, yeah, that's not how it works. Yep. You can blog and you can have a, a persona and you can have a presence. The reality is, is there's another piece of that, which is, what are you offering? You know, exactly. And how do you get that out in front of people? Exactly. I look at blogging and, and podcasting to, to some degree as... as uh, it's really marketing. It's an yeah. opportunity to share expertise uh, for customers to try before they buy. And so you really have to have a plan uh, for why you're doing what you're doing because otherwise, you know, you're, you may be helping someone, but you're not really helping, you know, put food on the table. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, let's fast forward to today. Yeah. And you're doing a presentation on Moneyball. Now, <laughs> I'm not... The, movie, a, the Brad Pitt movie. Yeah, the Brad Pitt movie. Brad yeah. Pitt, Jonah Hill. Yeah. You know, I've seen it. Huge fan of the movie. <laughs> Uh, and, and the principle behind Moneyball isn't about hiring the best or acquiring the best talent. It's about acquiring the best talent for your situation, right? Yeah. So yeah. could you tell us a little bit about uh, how that translates in the recruiting world? Well, so I think that's where, that's kind of the, maybe that big aha moment, that epiphany within the presentation is getting people to understand no, very, 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 very few, like 
you might be able to maybe come up with a couple of companies across the world that are actually hiring the best talent. Mm -hmm. We all say that, right? Our executives, oh my gosh, we only hire the best. We only hire top. We only, they all have wording about it. The reality is, is they're not really. What they're hiring is who's the best talent at the moment that we have this opening that will come to work for us, that will accept our average pay benefits and work environment, <laughs> you know, yeah. all these things. Um, that's not top talent. That's not the best talent. That's just the talent at the moment that potentially, you know, is willing to do that, which I think then, again, becomes one of those things where you go, oh. And so it's trying to get corporate talent acquisition folks especially to come back and say, hey, let's stop doing Let's stop saying that. Mm -hmm. What's the reality? Which is we need to hire the best people for us. Yep. Now, who the best is up for us? could be completely different than who's the best for somebody else. And so again, the money ball concept is going back and saying, do you even know what that is? Have you defined what that is? Billy Bean you know, did that for Oakland Athletics. He said, look, here's a philosophy I have that I think will win baseball games and cost us less money because they had limited funds. And again, in a, you know, HR, we tend to have a limit to you know, the money we can spend, which then again goes back to, if you have that limit, you're probably not going for the top talent because right. you can't always have the top talent in every position if you have limited funds. Um, so it's again, it's about creating your own philosophy of what is great talent look like for us or what's the great talent for us look like. Um, and so that's gonna be different for everybody. But, that's kind of the, the philosophy behind that Moneyball presentation is to get people to understand um, that and then also help them understand how can you start doing that. So what are those, some of those concepts that they used within Moneyball, not from a baseball analytics type of standpoint, but from a real world standpoint of what does that look like? So assessments, right? You're going back to black and white data. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you remember this, like the scouts talking about baseball players in the movie? Yeah. It was, oh, that guy, he's, a, he's country strong, he's big, <laughs> you know, he's powerful. It, it had nothing to do with skill. Mm -hmm. And that's, they were, you know, this guy can throw 100 miles an hour and strike people out. And Billy was like, look, we need to get guys on base, you know. We need um, to get, have guys put the ball in play, move guys around. Um, I don't want my pitcher striking everybody out. I want him to get out. Is it better to strike somebody out with seven pitches or throw one good pitch where they ground out to second base? And no one had thought in those concepts. So there's a lot of that stuff that we can think in the same way, and I give a bunch of examples within the presentation that from a talent acquisition standpoint, from a hiring standpoint in, in corporations, we can do similar kinds of things. There's metrics, right? Yeah. When I was at Applebee's, um, one of the things that we found successful for a manager coming into Applebee's, more than anything else by far, wasn't experience. We're running a restaurant. You would think it would be automatically like, oh, you've run restaurants, so you'll be really good. It was pure intelligence. Mm -hmm. If I could take somebody that had, like we had an intelligence kind of um, cognitive assessment that we did, somebody that scored 30 on that assessment and had 10 years of restaurant experience or someone that had no restaurant experience at all but got 90, they were much more likely to be successful than the person who got 90 with no experience in our environment. Because again, it was highly processed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, we, we just had a lot of stuff going on, a lot of problem solving that took place within that environment because it's very fast moving. Mm -hmm. And so the person that had higher intelligence was more successful. And we, we, we assessed millions of potential candidates and had really great data. Now again, for Applebee's, that was that magic kind of, mm -hmm. that silver bullet. For every company they have that, we just have to figure that out. Yeah, and Applebee's is a very large organization um, for for companies that are are uh, maybe smaller or startups or entrepreneurs, you know, I think a, a good takeaway here is the intentional 
conversations that you need to have between your people and your processes. Yeah. And whether you can take what you what some may define as a B level player or a C level player, how reliably can they go into your system and produce A results or B results? You know, it's all about the uh, maximizing of talent, so to speak. So, yeah, that's a great point. Um, when I, I even think for SMB plays, it's the same thing. Every, we all have that metric that we can get. Now, you might not have a million assessments that you do. You might only do 20 a year, but you know what it is that gets success in your organization. And so then it's going back to how do we hire more of those individuals that can do more of what that is that causes success, right, yeah. is where it comes down to. Um, in my own organization, I mean, I have 20 people at our, at our you know, kind of our corporate office. Um, and then we have like contractors kind of all out over it. But out of those 20 people, I know what those metrics are that cause success. And so I can measure those. And then when I go and hire somebody, it's all about hiring a skill set or hiring an attitude that's going to be able to lead more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, you, you also say in, in the presentation that hiring is going to increase in difficulty. Um, Looking ahead in the in the talent landscape and the hiring landscape, what are some of those uh, challenges that hiring managers, recruiters, business owners, what are they going to see that they may not be prepared for today? A lot of it, uh, to me, is um, the comfort level, and, and this isn't a millennial thing. This is this is um, this is prior or not prior to millennials. This is coming up, right? So the millennials are already in the workforce and they're doing their thing, and we're, we've dealt with that. That's kind of water under the bridge, and we've seen a million presentations on that over the last five years, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's how you deal with millennials, and I'm so sick of that. Yeah, um, me too. This new group coming in is called, they, they've self, because they, they're great branders of themselves, mm-hmm. and so they've already self-branded as the founders. And so this founding group that's coming up is so comfortable with technology, they're the first generation coming up that's, that they've only had smartphones. They've never had a flip phone or a slide phone or, you know, yeah. you know they don't know. What, what do you mean when you say picture phone? Like, what the heck's that? You're like, every phone has a camera. <laughs> um, but their level of knowledge of and comfort level with technology is completely different. How, they, how you and I might go out and, and get an answer for something, they're completely different. I have a 12-year-old son. He doesn't come to me to ask questions. He doesn't go to the Internet. He'll, he asks Siri, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. like he's like, oh, my gosh, he has a virtual assistant, you know, yeah. that he's growing up with. Um, and now Amazon's got the, uh, was it Echo? Echo, mm-hmm. yeah. Like they, so there's this AI kind of mentality that they come with to say, hey, I'm always going to have this buddy with me at all times, which is technology that can help me answer just about every kind of question that might be out there. Um, and we have to be able to adjust to that. They're, and they're truly a workforce that comes in and says, I can work from anywhere. And we still struggle with that in the corporate America. Um, we still want to see people sitting at it. We want butts and chairs yep. and we want to see them because if we don't see them, they must not be working, which again then goes back to this metrics analytics of knowing what drives your business. What really matters. Yeah. Well, and so again, like, and I even say my own, right? I have all my recruiters work for me, um, and they sit in the same office. The reality is, is I've had recruiters work for me in Austin, Texas, and you know, kind of all over. And if I have the right analytics set up, and I know what success looks like and measured, I, they, they could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have to see them at all because I can take a look at my dashboard and say, "Yep, this recruiter is successful because of boom, boom, boom," and this recruiter is failing for whatever might reason. I do think that there's still there's always going to be a part of the population 
that doesn't work well by themselves, right? That doesn't, isn't self-motivated or for whatever reason, they couldn't sit in their apartment and actually work and be successful. So again, I think there's always this balance of when you go and say, hey, that kind of environment works or it doesn't work. Um, I don't think when, sometimes I hear HR, talent acquisition people, and even some leaders out there of, of businesses go, oh my gosh, yeah, everybody can work virtually. No, there's some companies I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. Like if I'm, uh, you know, I have a widget factory. Yeah. <laughs> I, people can't work virtually, <laughs> right? I need them to make the widgets. <laughs> the production supervisor has to be there and they have to be making widgets. Quality um, assurance cannot Skype in and he, say, oh, that looks good. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I'm a, yeah, the production line is running from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., but I think I'm going to come in at noon today and work till 9. Like it, that doesn't work, right. you know? Yeah. Um, but again, I think the difficulty in hiring is, is twofold. Is one is that the gray wave that was going to hit us forever, the recession kind of stopped that for a long time, and all of a sudden now we're really starting to feel that. I do a lot of work with like GM and other like plants and stuff in Michigan. In some of these plant managers will call me like I'm losing 15 people in the next three months, all which are very highly skilled. And so now that goes back to how are we integrating? Um, these different kinds of work lives, right? So if you have someone who retires at 65, but they still want to work two days a week, mm-hmm. traditional HR and town acquisition practices struggle with that. They're like, well, I need a full-time person. I don't need two days a week. Look, I'll take the 65-year-old with 30 years of experience for two days a week. Yeah. You know, and I'll have the mentor, these young college kids I'm having to hire because there's nobody in between. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's just... There's so much of that complexity that happens that we have to open our minds to new ways. And I think that becomes a difficulty because we struggle with that. That's a huge change. So really assessing how HR looks at managing talent and even how a business, uh, the philosophy that they adopt and how they might leverage their, their talent. Yeah. Uh, what are some key takeaways for people that won't be able to make the presentation? What are some key takeaways that you uh, expect to cover in your session? Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot. I think um, part of it is is to have that clear vision of what talent, what, what talent looks like for you, right? And that's going to be different for every single person. You know, once you have that, it drives every behavior that you're going to, you know, it's going to drive your technology decisions. It's going to drive your process. It's going to drive what assessments you use. You have to have that person. And again, not only do you have to have that, it has to be clear to the hiring managers across the organization that it's one philosophy that we're going to hire for. So you can't sit there, because right now most organizations let every single hiring manager have their own hiring philosophy. Here's the kind of person I want. Tim, I like him from State U, you know, and that's who I like because they have better. And uh, we can't hire from tech because uh, they're awful, you know, yeah. and you're like, come on. Like, you, just because you graduated from State right. U doesn't make them better. Yeah. Um, but we, we allow this to happen versus going, we're going to only hire people who have a true passion around creating products that are going to change the world. If we do that, and every hiring manager is on board, you're looking for certain attributes that person comes with, right? They want to change the world for the better. They want to create new stuff. They, you know, there's certain things that they're going to come with um, that you can go and interview three people and go, yeah, that person has it, but those two don't. Mm-hmm. And that's who I want to hire. Um, and that's great talent for us. But without that, starting that vision, everything else is just a crapshoot. You know, yeah. you're just kind of throwing darts on a board to find out what you want, where you want to go. And making a bad hire is so expensive, not just from a financial perspective, but even the, the uh, impact it has on your team when you've got to let somebody go and everybody else has to rally in and, and bury ex- bear extra weight. 
it, yeah, and you take you, the time to do it right. You've probably yeah. seen a lot of the marketing. There's commercials now, and I know they're like memes. Like, oh, there's a lot of um, like jokes going around where companies are looking for. You know, new grads, you hear it a lot. And when I speak at campus, I hear this is like, oh, we need somebody with five years experience that's 21 years old, Yeah. you know, or 10 years experience, you know, and you're like, well, what did I start working when I was yeah. 11? Like, there's no possible way that we can have that. So yep. again, it's this, the takeaway is to open up your minds of what talent really looks like. And, and for me, you know, everybody wants the graduated five to 10 year person. That's, that's the cherry spot right now mm -hmm. in hiring. And yet, if somebody is 55, 60, 65, like all of a sudden they're like used up, like somehow they're a battery and they mm -hmm. no longer have anything left yeah. versus they're a hard drive that's completely full now and they have so much to give. Exactly. And so it's kind of opening that up. But even, you know, then it also is looking at new grads, which again, I think are undervalued when we talk about Moneyball, right? Mm -hmm. Undergrads, I think, are undervalued from a talent perspective. You can bring an undergrad in and get them up to speed fairly quickly and they might perform the same as that five, seven, 10, 15 year person um, if they are surrounded by the right mentors, if they're surrounded by people who will share that knowledge. So it's this combination of really trying to find value in the marketplace because if you're going after you know, just one kind of sweet spot, um, you're gonna overpay for that talent. Well, Tim, it's been a, definitely a pleasure sitting here talking with you today and uh, good luck with your presentation. How can the audience contact you, whether it's to follow you on Twitter, yeah. do work with you, you know, where can they find you on the web? So I've tried to brand myself as Tim Sackett because okay. it's my name, so yeah. it's kind of easy. So at Tim Sackett, timsackett.com. Um, if you Google Tim Sackett, I'm the first 20 pages. There's also another Tim Sackett who's a truck driver chaplain, okay. and we're not the same guy. <laughs> I'm not that truck driver chaplain. Yeah. I'm Tim Sackett, the HR talent guy. So Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Been a pleasure, man. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. All right. Man. Thank you. Yep. If you've recently started a business, why take away time from what you're good at, only to focus on difficult, pesky HR problems? Jumpstart HR LLC offers a better solution. Jumpstart HR provides HR outsourcing support to U.S.-based small businesses and startups and was recently ranked among the top 10 HR outsourcing firms in the country, according to businessnewsdaily.com. From recruitment to employee handbooks to legal compliance, Jumpstart HR helps you get peace of mind about the people in your business. Visit jumpstart-hr.com for more information or follow on Twitter at jumpstarthr. Jumpstart HR. Let's build a better business together.